Hello and welcome to Raw Chatter, the stuff that matters. I am your host, Vicky Midwood, and I am bringing you this podcast bi-weekly. We will be talking to guests and I will be talking on my own alternately all about subjects that we want to bring to the forefront of conversations. This is non-censored stuff on subjects that perhaps we don't talk about enough and I truly believe that nothing should be taboo and the more we can talk about things, the more we can bring things into the open, the more we can be totally honest about how we feel and what we think without worrying about judgment from other people, the better. So thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi folks and welcome to Raw Chatter, the stuff that matters. I am Vicky Midwood, your host, and I am delighted, excited, and actually, if I'm honest, pretty over the moon about (laughs) this interview with the lovely Hazel Larkin. She is going to talk to us about a subject that some of you may have absolutely no clue about and others of you will know, oh my goodness me, way too well. She's going to talk to us about child sexual abuse, among other things. And before I say anything else, I just need to warn you that there may be some subjects that we discuss that you may trigger some of you. And if that is the case and you want to switch off, absolutely do. We'll talk to you about where you can get some help later on. But without further ado... Hazel, over to you. Tell us about what you do a little bit, and then I'm going to ask you to to just go into your background and your story and what got you involved in that in the first place. Sure, that sounds great. Um, I'm delighted to be here, and and I'm possibly even more excited than you are to to, to be on this (laughs) podcast. I, I, you know, it's just the title alone would just draw me in. Um, But yeah, at the moment, I um, I've just finished my uh, doctoral thesis on transgenerational trauma and child sexual abuse and what I'm specifically looking at you you should know better than to ask a a student about their theses but anyway (laughs) what I'm specifically looking at is the relationship between daughters and mothers in Ireland where both of them have a history of child sexual abuse why was this yeah Yeah, because nobody's bothered to ask the daughters before how their relationships you know for for their experience of their relationships with their mothers um, and how disclosure was for them and if or how the relationship changed after disclosure was made. And I think it's an important, it's an important aspect of the whole dynamic to look at. Yeah, it um, is. So yeah. to put people in the picture of, of your story, because it's an amazing one, and I know that I've only heard part of it. Um, and, and I hope at some point you're going to write a book. I, I'm sure I you've written a book. You have written a book, right. <laughs> oh, yes. so, so for those of you, and we'll, we'll give you details of that, folks, if you go, oh, what's the book? What's the book? We'll tell you that uh, towards the end. But your story involved you being abused initially by your dad from age Three that you can remember yes, yes and then yes. and this is what really kind of blew my mind was the the fact that you pretty much were certain your mum knew what yes, was going on yep. that then escalated to your brothers your siblings also uh, abusing you now there's more to the story than that and I'm obviously you're going to fill it in but how that affected your relationship with your mom must have been something that was really, really hard, strange, 
weird and and i'm guessing that there was a lot of feeling around you not knowing what the hell was wrong with me and why me and 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 is this normal so would you like to cover some of that stuff absolutely i suppose the the, the first place to start is is with the mother-daughter relationship seeing as it's what i spent several years looking at um from an academic sense but from a very personal sense um or from a very personal point of view i never had the sense that my mother loved me and I remember specifically being about four years of age and having that thought very cognitively in my mind, you know, that she's only nice to me when other people are are, are looking. And I remember I, I, I was always a writer, so, so I kept diaries from the time I was very young. And I remember writing in my diary once when I was about seven that I I I give her love and all I get is hate. Goodness me. And how did she show that? I mean, was she physically abusive to you? Was it language? Was it just yes. Yeah. The, it, do you know, it's funny. It was all of the, it is all of the above. I mean, now I have the language to say my mother is a narcissist. Right. Um, and she's a covert nar narcissist. If you people want to go and look just up that. People who types. don't know what yes. that word means. Well, just it's help us to understand what that means. Sure, because because when we think of narcissism, we think of the the the, the myth of narcissist who narcissist who fell in love with his own reflection. Yes. Um, but uh, so we, so we have this idea that all narcissists have this sense of being grandiose and they're all puff and blather right. like peacocks. But actually, there are different types of narcissists. And my mother is what we would call a covert narcissist. So she appears to be very humble and she appears to be, you know, quite the little martyr. But yeah. at the same time, she does have a very, she has a sense of herself as being better than other people. Right. She has a sense of herself as never being wrong. Okay. She's never yeah. apologized for anything in her entire life. Right. You know? um anything serious um she has a sense of a, another hallmark of a narcissistic parent whether it's a mother or a father is that they divide the children so rather than bring your your, your children up to to be friends with each other to have each other's backs to look out for each other they pit the children against each other in very subtle ways right. and there will be a favorite or a series of favorites or sometimes depending on how big your family is and of course i'm irish so you know there were six of us um yeah. that, that it can you can sometimes pivot in and out of, of of a favorite for a year or a favorite for six months or a favorite for a certain thing you never know quite where you are you never know quite where you are you never know treated. what you're going to get but i was never good enough nothing i ever did was ever good enough and she took the good out of everything if i had an idea if i said oh look i've done and she go well, that'll never work. Well, that, that 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 was a waste of time. What were you doing that for? You should have been peeling potatoes. It's like, oh my God, nothing right. I ever did. She was never proud of me. She could never express that. And my brothers were on pedestals. My eldest brother and my youngest brother particularly were, you know, the sun rises and sets on them. And the right. other two brothers and my sister, they would they would take turns of being, you know, equally shone upon, if you like. Um, so may I ask, mm. were, was it just you that was the one who was abused or did it go across all the siblings, including your sister and your brothers? The sexual abuse? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. To the, I know that of, of all of my five siblings, they have all said, except for my eldest one, um, that they were sexually abused as well to a lesser extent um, right. by my father. Um 
and my second brother who was who was the most abusive of my brothers he, he was quite um vicious actually wow. uh still is but i don't speak to him anymore so i don't have to put up with that um but he he would he he wrote to me um a, a number of years ago and he said like i mean like 25 30 years ago um and he said to me that um he remembers me being born because he's three years older than I am. Right. And that until I was born, he got that kind of uh, that attention from my father. But he, he said that when I was, yeah, but he said that, that when I was born, I was a real girl. So then the attention completely went from him to me. I mean, it's, it's horrible attention, yeah, but, it was all, it, but it's all that was going, you know, that, that, that horrendously dysfunctional type of a family. The, the only, I mean, I've said before, the only um, a, a touch I ever received as a child was abuse. There were no hugs. There were no, it, was, it was abuse. That's all it ever was, whether it was physical or sexual or both. Um, Can I also ask, at that yeah. age, and because it was happening with your siblings, did you have any clue that what was going on was not just normal? Well, by the time I was born, I was the only one being sexually abused in the house. Right. Um, and there was there was very I mean, it's not a sliding scale, but, you know, we're, we're to, to be to be very you know blunt about and call a spade a spade. Whereas I would have been um, um, raped and penetrated by my father. So my brothers wouldn't have been. And right. the brother next to me, um, it, it was it was fondling. It wasn't it wasn't the serious. The, the abuse wasn't as serious. Right. Um, it was more serious again with my sister than it would have been with my brothers. But again, it wasn't as serious as it was with me. Also because my mother didn't like me, didn't right. love, and so I didn't get the attention. So it was easier to abuse me because she wouldn't notice or wouldn't care what was done to me. Wow. Whereas, you know, the other children mattered for want of a better way of putting it. Um, and I didn't. So it was, it was very easy to, and at that point, do you, do you yeah. feel that it affected your behaviour in any way? Because we hear so much uh, about children's behaviour being affected negatively when they're at school, when they're around other kids. Was that your story or not? Oh, completely. But when you say affected negatively, I went completely into myself. Right. Um, and would have indulged in a, a form of kind of, pathological daydreaming if you like because what was actually really happening in my world was I, I just couldn't cope with it as a child to kind of go that's my reality um and to go this is what I have to live in I as 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 soon as I possibly could you know for hours during a day I was in my head I was off I was a princess I was kidnapped I was there were all sorts of things happening in my very vivid imagination that took me out and of course, physically I was there, but I was able to feel like I was somewhere else. I was able to project myself into something else. And I really do think that that is what, that is what saved me. Amazing. You know, yeah. So that's what you did when the abuse was happening. And that's what I did when the abuse was happening. Yes. Right. Yeah, and that was your way of, of mm -hmm. being able to yeah. just be, I suppose, for your yeah. brain and your body to be able yeah. to cope with, with yeah. what was going oh, on. Yeah, but the daydreaming would have gone on every day. For hours whether you know and and even in school I would kind of okay so I'm in school so I'm not at home so I'm not being abused but this isn't very exciting so even in even in the school classroom I would be inventing somewhere else right. you know I'd, I'd be there I'd be doing my work but in my head I was somewhere right. far more interesting and exciting and I was always the hero right. you know I, right. I put myself as you know the person who would 
who would do really well, the person who would have the exciting thing happen to them, because that wasn't happening in my real life. So I made it happen in my head, in my in my fantasy life. But academically then, you've gone on to do three degrees, four degrees. Yeah. So I'm yeah. guessing that a part of you needed something to really focus on, or, or am I not quite right on that? Well, it's very interesting because I, I loved school because it was escape. Right. Um, and I loved learning and I was very curious. But between the family that I grew up in and the Irish education system, that wasn't really fostered. Okay. You know, stop asking questions. No, right. no, just do your work. No, I've finished it. Well, then you can read your book. It was like there was never there was never a notion of an extension or let's see what this child is capable of, you know. Yeah. So um, I, when I got to secondary school, th things were a bit more challenging. But then my home life got even more challenging. And then I realized that what was happening was wrong. And that's when I looked for help. And that, in a way, for a long time, that made things worse. This is the part of the story that, that beggars belief for people like me who are listening <laughs> and who who don't, who've heard about Ireland, but kind of think that maybe that's that's the stuff of myths and fairy tales, but mm. it's absolutely not. And uh, do you want to explain what happened when you sure, got yeah, to Sure, yeah, very, very briefly, by the time I was um 13 I had realized that what was happening in my home not only did I not like it well I knew I didn't like it but there was a name for it and it wasn't normal and I and, and it wasn't it wasn't acceptable um and I confided in a friend and she immediately said we need to tell we need to tell a teacher adults need to know this and I was terrified I was crying begging her not to say anything yeah and she said no we have to and she was right um and we approached a, a, a nun who was not a very stern she was she she had a reputation for being kind um for you know so so we and, and very holy we and because she was so holy she used to go and say the rosary every morning down this particular path so we kind of we were waiting for her when she was coming back from saying her prayers to kind of pounce on her and kind of we have to talk to you. So um, my my friend said, "Look, you know, she did the talking because I was doing the crying," and she said, "Look, sister, um, Hazel's brothers are interfering with her," and the nun knew exactly what that meant. And she and and you know, I said that I had locked the door of my bedroom the night before and got into awful trouble about it in the morning. Right. Um, with my mother, she's like, "What are you doing, locking doors? And give me that key. And you're not allowed to be doing that. And this is that doesn't go on in this house." And I was like. Wow. So, um, so, so the nun got all of this, and her solution was: she said, "Look, we have to do something." And I was terrified because I knew I'd get into trouble. Yeah, for, for, for speaking. Um, so her solution was to call the principal of the school where, where my brothers were, because Ireland single-sex schools. Right. Um, so I was in the girls' school, which was run by the nuns. They were in the boys' schools, which was run by the priests. So she rang the priest and she said, "Look, you really need to come down and and." You, you know, this is going on. These these two boys in the school are doing this to their sister. And he went, no, I don't believe it. They're my they're my best boys. Oh, and he named one. And he said, but sure, he's fabulous. And he's, no, 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 I don't believe it. And she said, the child is in front of me. She said, there is no question that this is going on. Apparently she got quite cross with him. Um, and, you know, and I didn't know this until many years later when she um, when, when she spoke to my solicitor. Um, and so the, the priest said that he would come down and he would talk to me. Basically, it was an interrogation over lunchtime. Wow. Um, and the, the nun said that she was annoyed with him because he was late. And she said, you know, we only have the lunch break or people are going to start to talk. You know, you've yeah. got a finite amount of time. And he said, oh, no, I was delayed because I, I dropped into the local doctor. 
the local GP and I said to him, what do I do? And the doctor said, find out how far it's gone. Make sure she doesn't get pregnant because the town couldn't cope with the scandal. That's what I just was just like, yeah, my God, not yeah. how is she? Not, oh my, we need to call the guard. They, that poor child. We need, and this doctor would have known me. He knew my parents. They went to school together. You know, it wasn't like he was kind of going, I don't, I have no idea who that child is. They must be making it up. He knew exactly who I was. He knew exactly the family I had come from. He knew my parents, still does. Um, and uh, no, there was no, there was no suggestion that the child who was being abused on a daily basis by more than one person should somehow be rescued or taken out of that situation. No, it was just like, don't, don't make sure, like how the priest was supposed to make sure I didn't get pregnant so the town wouldn't have to suffer the scandal. I really don't know. But anyway. That, that's what beggars belief about your yeah. story. The, the fact that it was just brushed off and they yep. weren't going to believe you. Oh, no, they and did I'm, believe me. But, you that, know, they, they weren't yeah, going to believe yeah. that it was anything that was serious. And it was almost yeah. normalised because they were just yeah. basically saying, well, you know, carry on as long as she doesn't get pregnant kind of thing. It was, it yeah. was just unreal. And... Mm -hmm. Do you know, I'm guessing over the years you probably found out, but do you know whether this was commonplace among other families of the kids that you were at school with or are you not aware? Did you feel it was just you that was going through this? I felt it was just me who was going through it and, and certainly as I know statistically there's no there's no way, there's no way I was even the only child in my own class because, you know, in a class of 30 girls, you can be damn sure I wasn't the only one. But I have gone as you know, been very public in recent years about about what, you know, about my history, about my childhood. Um, and I would still be in contact, maybe only through Facebook or whatever, but still be in contact with people that I would have known at school. And none of them has said, oh, my God, I didn't realize you as well or anything like that. But there again, they don't have to. But it's no. just that, that that space has opened up if somebody wanted to step into it and say, oh, can't believe you as well. Or, oh, my goodness, me too. Or oh, my next door neighbor, you know. Um, can I ask you then, and, I, and again, you might not be able to answer this, because you you are still living in Ireland now, correct? I'm back in Ireland now, You're yeah, I was away for a long time, yeah. So if somebody's listening to this, and they live yes. in Ireland, and they're having this experience within their family, mm -hmm. and part of their brain is going, I need to tell somebody this is not mm -hmm. right, it needs to stop, but they're frightened of... Yes what the outcome might be because people will find out what will the town say and all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff what would you say to them i understand completely your fears i understand completely the tearing inside of you of wanting to make this stop but not knowing how to make it stop and equally to women who are grown, who, who are now realizing that what went on in their lives was not normal and they didn't have to put up with it and are battling with that now. I'm really sorry to have to say this, but I would say tread carefully. Wow. Um, and, and disclosure is something that is spoken about in Ireland. Um, and people are saying, oh, you know, disclosure is key and we must have practices in place. But honestly, honestly, Vicky, they haven't changed enough since I was that child. That's what I feared you were going so, to say. So to be honest, I will be very honest, and, and I was and I would say that I have capacity to do this. This is not me speaking off the off the cuff. I am very, very open to people contacting me because I have I have supports in place for me because of the work that I do. Yeah. Um and the the um disclosures that I receive 
um, and the you know whether that's a phone call um, at three o'clock in the afternoon or an email or a Facebook message at three o'clock in the morning, yeah. I, I, I'm 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 perfectly placed to take those in terms of it's not going to I'm not going to say it's not going to upset me because it always upsets me, but it's not going to impinge on me because I have done a lot of work around holding that space. Um, and then also making sure that I get the help that I need. I, my, my rule of thumb is within 48 hours of, of taking a, a significant disclosure, I see my own therapist. And then what she does is she goes and she sees her therapist. My supervisor is in supervision. So there's a lot of care because I know as well that so many people who have histories of abuse don't want to burden anybody else. And I need to say, you, you're not a burden. And the, 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 the biggest and the most important and sometimes the most difficult disclosure that we make is the one we make to ourselves. Wow. That's just something that I think, you know, we need to repeat that again. Do you want to repeat that again? It's worth sure. repeating. I'm saying that the sometimes the most difficult, um, but also the most important disclosure that we make is the one that we make to ourselves. It's yeah. when we turn around and say, do you know what, kid? That terrible thing that's happening to you is actually a terrible thing. And it shouldn't be happening. Yeah. And there are this there are there the are This is the power that that we feel that we have lost, or that we perhaps feel has been taken from us. Absolutely. And this is our opportunity to say, no, actually, this is not right, and I don't want this anymore. And crucially, I don't deserve it. I didn't ask for it. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with me, mm -hmm. and I don't need fixing. No. What you need is somebody to listen and to be able to offer you the right help for your circumstances. And that starts with you saying, do you know what? There's that little tiny modicum of enoughness that I do deserve to not have to deal with this on my own and suffer alone anymore. And that's something that you provide. Now, you've got something really exciting going on in terms of that coming up in, in June and July, haven't you? And, and yes. also, it's about coming right back to what we spoke about at the beginning with relationships with, with mothers and daughters, because your mum obviously knew. You very clearly did not feel loved from a very, very early age. Mm -hmm. And when it came to what went on afterwards and you you with the court case and stuff i would imagine that that kind of made things even more difficult for you that so do you want to explain about yeah. a what you've got coming up which might people might want to pop in their diaries now and, and think mm -hmm. about which is in ireland specifically isn't it yes it is we're going to the burn the beautiful burn in the in in clare which is in the west of ireland um just on on the coast of the atlantic um, I'm going to take four days and the to qualify for this you need to be the daughter of a narcissistic mother and we're, it's a happiness retreat and children are welcome because as a single parent myself when my, when my littles were little um, sometimes that was an obstacle and I think we've had enough obstacles in our way so I'm removing as many as I can um, and there will be details of that on, on my website. Um, I'm also in September again back in the burn because I do like the place and it's magical and mystical and marvelous um we are um, i'm hosting a retreat it's a three-day weekend retreat for um women who are sexually abused to reclaim our sexuality because 
particularly with the research that I've been doing, the amount of women who confided in me that they haven't actually ever had an orgasm or that they never actually feel from the waist down when they're having sex, that sex is something they do because they love their husbands, but they're not even too sure what's going on, yeah. you know? Um, so it's, it's to, it's to turn all of that into something far more positive, fully clothed. I have to say, because sometimes women were saying, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy enough to see myself naked, but I, I'm kind of going, no, no, no. Don't, don't want anybody else to. Yeah, no, and this is, you know, <laughs> the work that I do with a lot of a lot of people. I mean, you know, when people turn to alcohol or food, you yeah. know, it's it's a coping mechanism. It and and is. it's it's a learned behavior because it works. And, and so, you know, sometimes you then get the double whammy of people have been abused and they feel that there's something wrong with them and now they're using food and alcohol and that in and of itself starts to cause issues so it's doubly this there must be really something wrong with me mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. there's so much shame and so much guilt around it and what you're offering is a space for for women who can actually say do you know what i'm going to start to try to reconnect mm. to me and to my physical self yes. and yeah. and that's something that you know i had to learn to do and i'm sure you've still had work, to learn to do still working on it Vicky, to be very right yeah, and I, think, I think it's important to hit to for people to hear that you're still working on it and if somebody is being offered a, a quick fix oh, there is a four-week course or a six-week course i'm going to say Please don't set yourself up to be disappointed because it's it's not going to be that quick a process. And as I say, you don't need fixing because you're not no. broken. You just need to have a shift in how you respond and reconnect mm -hmm. back to your body. And there's an amazing book, which I know you love and I love, um, which is called The Body Knows the Score. Yes. Right. And that talks about how we actually hold this physical trauma on a cellular level. And there are some amazing techniques that I utilize with my clients that can help you to actually physically work with dissipating some of that trauma. But yep. you also need to speak to somebody who gets you and you yep. need to be around like minded people who understand what you've been through so that we yep. can throw away this crap guilt shame yes, yes, yes. and we belly dance that's one of the elements of this weekend of this fabulous because it's, it's all about the feminine and reclaiming the feminine yeah. um, and using the part because i know that sometimes people um abuse food or or um misuse alcohol and drugs almost as a way of reclaiming power it's like going and it's mine now and i can do what i want to it yeah. and look what i'm going to do with it no look again you know, and, you know so sometimes you have extremes of, of people not eating enough for sufficient amounts in an attempt almost to disappear yeah. and then sometimes yeah. and sometimes the same person can come out maybe five years later and go no do you know what i'm owning it now and it was nearly taken away from me and i nearly died through not eating so i'm going to eat all the cakes all the Correct. time and yeah. you know and i will inhabit my space but we don't really because then you've got a bad back so you're a bit hunched over anyway so it's all of that it, is. it absolutely is and this is where what we do you know there's there's no kind of point where you go it's this or it's this or it's this mm. all of this stuff that we're talking about we are whole beings that means yes. mind body soul we're, we're not we're not cut off here uh, and yes. and yet you had to be to some extent yes to be able to manage what you were going through but that mm -hmm. led you when you had this realization that this is not normal and it's not acceptable and enough is enough talk to us about um in the last few minutes about you taking people to court and you actually going through that process because it, i'm i'm just like yes 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I disclosed to my mother because, you know, I'm aware that I've been saying I know she knew and, and she did. But then she definitely knew when I told her um, about a year late, a year after I'd made the first disclosure. And her response was just to send me for for therapy, which was possibly, you know, not an incorrect thing to do. I mean, I can't fault her for that. Um, now, the therapy left a lot to be desired. We can talk about that another day. Um, that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Um, but but then I, I believe that I'm the first woman or the first person in Ireland to take a civil case before there was a criminal conviction, because what happened was I did go to the Garda, our local police here in Ireland when I was 18, because I thought you had to be an adult to, to report right. a crime. This will tell you how innocent, how naive I was. Um, and I, I made the report. And then obviously my mother was interviewed because she would have been named in the statement. You know, I lived at home. I lived with her. Um, and she's, she was very annoyed. She said, you know, that I was to withdraw my statement because otherwise I was going to ruin my brother's lives. And if I was going to do that, well, I couldn't live under her roof anymore. She was yeah, essentially going to make me homeless. And I didn't feel I had a choice, but I thought in my naivety, I thought maybe they'll see the error of their ways. And I said that I would... Um, um, not not retract what I'd said, but but say that I wasn't willing to be a state's witness, basically, right. um, on condition that they went for therapy. And they never went for therapy. They just went to see her. She's an Egypt. She'll do what she's told. Told you, told you. And off they went. And at this stage, they were living abroad. So right. even when I went back to the police and I said, look, there is, you know, that that never it was never forwarded to the DPP at the time so that means that it is still live and also I had had more memories and I had more language to put on what had happened to me so I was able to make additional statements and they were like right okay we'll go ahead with this but the DPP refused prosecution because they were outside the jurisdiction right um so I thought fine well then there's civil court so that's what we did um we went to civil court now in the middle of all of this one of my brothers decides to get cancer um and he and and i say decides to get cancer only slightly facetiously because we've just been talking about how the body keeps the score right um so he he had brain cancer and i was told you know it's terminal and it's funny because i remember the day i heard i was i was studying in trinity college and up the top of the building and my lawyer rang me to say that he'd got this message and his lawyer wanted me to just forget about everything and drop the, you know, drop the whole suit because he was sick. And I was like, that's not, that's not how it works. Nope. But at the same time, when that phone call was over, I left the room and I sat on the stairs and I cried for about 10, I cried for him because I thought this is really sad. And I thought you're, 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 you're dying without becoming a good person. And it was like, I, I had compassion for him and for his children, um, right. you know, cause, cause they would have been quite young. Anyway, he's, he's still going as far as I know. Right. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah. So he, um, so we went to court and they they were just terrified of going in front of a judge. And I was in the, now I kick myself sometimes, but I just thought, what is the most compassionate thing that I can do right now? You know, I have written confessions from both of them. It's not about, we all know what you did. It was about, you know, did I want my day in court? Did I, And there were a couple of factors. First of all, I had a, I had a really bad uh, legal team who really just wanted to be paid. Um, they weren't concerned about justice. Um, and my own lawyer said to me, you know, I feel a bit sorry for him. Would you not just settle? And I was kind of going, you raped me for years. That's not the but point. It's not the point. No. And who side is it? And he was going down because then my brother couldn't, the, you know, the second brother who was there, who, as I said, was the more vicious one. Um, he couldn't afford his, his criminal lawyer anymore. So he 
parted ways with him. So he didn't really know what he was doing. Right. Um, so my lawyer was going down and giving him advice as well. Jeez. Walking down the corridor and I'm kind of going, is this normal? Is this, am I supposed to take, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm supposed How to do. How old were you at this point? Do you mind me asking? Oh, no, no, I was 37. Right. Like, it's, or, no, it's a bit more. I think I might have, I think I might have actually been almost 40 by the time we got into court. Um, but I was kind of going, well, what, what is the correct thing to do here? And he's kind of going, as I said, walking down the corridor and advising my brother on, on the thing. And also the other thing is that because um, he sacked his lawyer, my brother was going to be cross-examining me on the witness stand. Oh, wow. Now, I'd have been, that wouldn't have, no, I can't say it wouldn't have upset me. Of course it would have upset me. But it was... I wasn't terrified of it. And that's the thing that I have moved on so much. And even since then, even Brilliant. since that court case, I've grown so much. I've done so much healing. I've, 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 I've been part of so many other women's healing journeys. And that's, that's, you know, that's a huge privilege for me. Um, and as somebody said to me only last week, she said, Hazel, you have a voice. Yeah, you have to use it. And I yes. thought, yeah, okay, that is my job. She said, yes. not everybody can and not everybody wants to. Right. And sometimes women say to me, oh, I wish I had your courage. I wish I was able to speak up. And I said, this is, you will heal in your own way. You don't have to. And that's another thing, this idea that we that we tell victims and we tell survivors they must tell their stories so it doesn't happen to anybody else. That's not your job. Your yeah. job as a victim is to heal and become a survivor and move on to become a thriver. That's your job. And right, and which is why thrive, not strive. Exactly. Because what we want people to do and i'm so glad that, that you said that because there is this feeling that if i if i go and speak to somebody and i get help this is what's going to happen and people think that they know the process and and they don't because everybody's process and everybody's story and everybody's experience and everybody's journey is going to be different and it's not and linear and it's not linear <laughs> and and you know and anybody who has listened to any of the stuff that i've done will know that you know you go up and down and sometimes you you know you kind of do this kind of waltz where you think you're taking two steps forward and then you take three steps back and you're just like going what's going on i don't know what i'm doing we yeah. all feel like that. The point is, and this is why you are here and why I wanted you to come on and why I'm doing this, is because we have a voice and we are vocal people who, yeah. who don't want to be pushed down and, and be told to shut up and be quiet and put up with it and work the system. No, the system stinks. How, how it Absolutely. helps you is rubbish. The therapy that you had had was not necessarily helpful. And I know for me, it definitely was. In fact, in, in, in some ways it was detrimental mm -hmm. significantly because it opened a Pandora's box that I didn't know what the fudge then to do with. And this is what can happen for a lot of people, which is why they then think, there's something wrong with me and I must be broken. And, and if we can just keep saying to people, start talking, if it's not to your friends because that doesn't feel right and it's not mm -hmm. to other family members or somebody in authority that's around you because you don't feel comfortable, speak to a stranger who's been through what you've been through. Oh, because they are going to get you mm -hmm. in a way that these other people just won't and they can help you to actually feel ready to take that very first baby step mm -hmm. on the road to to healing and so yeah. on that note hazel where can people connect with you find out what you do your website and, and all of that good stuff yeah and just before i just wanted to say though that that speaking to another survivor they don't just get you they don't just get the misery they get the black humor yes. <laughs> because 
I end up laughing. I end up laughing with every woman that I work with, and and I work with men as well, parents who were sexually abused as children. We end up laughing because we, you know, you because that dark humor got us through our childhoods. But with a with a real therapist or or with with a very serious professional, you, you have to kind of keep the misery face on so they believe you. Whereas with someone who's been through it, and they kind of go. Jesus, the noise they used to make. Do you remember that huffy? <laughs> and other things as well, you know. Like I'll, I'll often say, Jesus, no wonder I was always exhausted at school. I've been up half the night. But, and they were kind of, oh, you can't do like that. So you can't do another survivor. But anyway, you can find me um, on the World Wide Web at uh, traumarecovery.ie. Brilliant. It's my website. Brilliant. And then all my other contact details are on that, including my email, my Twitter handle, all of that stuff. Hazel, we could talk for forever and, and on all sorts of subjects, I am absolutely sure. But for today, I want to say thank you so much for your time. Thank you for doing oh, what you, you are doing. And for those of you who have listened, thank you for listening in. If you do like this podcast, please do subscribe to it. Tell your friends, get them to listen to. And if you think you know somebody who this might actually be helpful for, please do just point them in the direction of us. And they may or may not listen, but hopefully they will. Once again, Hazel, thank you and have a lovely day. Oh, it was day. a joy. Thank you so much.